Welcome to the Virginia Beach Potter's House Sermon Podcast. We're doing something a little different this week. We'll be featuring sermons from the recent Bible conference held at the Door Church in San Antonio, Texas, pastored by Richard Ruby. We're sure these powerful messages will bless your life and help you live for God. And we'll return to our normal schedule next week. God bless. Praise God. Thank you so much. It is so wonderful to be here with you this week. And uh, I just want to say thank you so much to the San Antonio congregation for your decades of support and covering uh, and your investment into uh, South Africa and uh, your covering uh, and headship, me and my wife and our family. And it is good to be here. And uh, what an excellent building. This reflects the excellence of our pastor and the excellence of the God that we serve. Our God is an excellent God. And I just so am just so appreciative. And uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles tonight to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm amazed. Pastor Ruby's confidence and the privilege of letting me preach here. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. A number of years ago, uh, Pastor Ruby made a statement in, I believe it was a wedding. It might have been in a single seminar, but I'm pretty sure it was in a wedding. And he was talking about moral purity. And he was talking about keeping yourself pure until the day of your wedding. And he made a statement, I'm probably paraphrasing a little bit, What he was saying to every single person who is going to the altar to get married, he said, when you get to that day, you will have wanted to do it right. You're going to want the blessing of God on that day. You can either be clean or you can cheat and cover it up. But you'll have to live with that the rest of your life. If you'll do it right on that day you'll be really glad you did. But if you cheat and cover it up and don't do it right, on that day, you'll really wish you had done it right. You know what, church? Every single one of us is going to have a that day. We're going to leave this life and we're going to see Jesus face to face if you're really saved. You're going to have a that day. And you're going to want to have done it right on that day. And I want to preach tonight on the judgment seat of Christ. And I want to preach a sermon called, You'll be really glad you did, or you really wish you had. Second Corinthians chapter 5, begin reading in verse 6. So we always are confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident... Yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known your consciences. Father, we love you tonight. We come before you by the precious blood. 
by the Spirit of God, God, we understand that there is coming a day. Help us to be ready so that that will be a day of rejoicing in Jesus' name. You'll be really glad you did, or you really wish you had. I want to look first of all with you at We Will Answer. Here in our text, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. Both of the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, much of that was to set some things in order. There were some things that were out of order in the church. And the context here, as he's speaking is what happens to the believer when they die. And he is infusing in them a living hope and that there is a resurrection. The previous chapter speaks about persecution. He is encouraging them to have their eyes fixed on the unseen, on the eternal, not the seen which is passing away. And he is speaking to them about that there is persecution and injustice, but at the end, there will be justice. And here in our text, Paul says that there is a motivation in this life for our conduct and for our behavior in this life. Verses 9 and 10, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. He says we make it our aim to be well-pleasing to him. One translation says our only goal is to please God, whether we live here or there, because we must all stand before Christ to be judged. Each of us will receive what we should get, good or bad, for the things we did in the earthly body. This is, our text is one of three main uh, uh, scriptures where Paul speaks specifically about the judgment seat of Christ and about the reality that we are going to leave this life and we're going to stand before Jesus, we're going to see him face to face, and he wants that day to be a good day for us. Not a day of regret, that this is a reality. This is going to happen, church. There's going to come a day where it's not going to be just words on the pages of our Bible. There is going to be a day. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We will not see death. We will not see the spirit of death if we die in Christ. We'll close our eyes, or maybe not, but we will pass or be caught up in the rapture, and in the blink of an eye, we will perhaps close our eyes in physical death, open them, and then we will see Jesus face to face. That is going to happen. In Romans, Paul speaks of this, Romans 14.10, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Romans 14.12, so then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. He says that there is a judgment. This is not the great white throne of judgment or Revelation 21. That is reserved for sinners. That is for people who don't know Jesus. That is for people who will stand before the bar and the dead, great and small, were judged and the books were opened and they were judged according to the things that were written in their books. If you're here tonight and you're not right with God, you need to understand everything that you have ever done, ever said, ever thought, has been written in a book and you're going to answer for that. That's actually happened to every single one of us. We have a book in heaven. 
I remember teaching this way, way back in our first church in San Marcos in a Sunday school about that there is a book and there was a woman in our church, her eyes got real big and she lifted up her hand, Pastor, do you mean that I have a book in heaven? Yes, ma'am. Everything that I have done is written in that book? I said, yes, ma'am. Everything I have said has been written in that book? Yes, it has. And she said, oh, pastor, I have a big book. (laughs) I mean, we all have a big book. And we're going to be judged according to that. But the real good thing that happens is that when you get saved, there is a word in the Bible, it is the word justification. It literally means just as if, justified, just as if, just as if you had never sinned. That when you give your life to Jesus, the blood of Jesus Christ erases your book. And the end, and in the eyes of God, He no longer remembers our sin. They are as, as if it never happened. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We do not face the great white throne of judgment as believers. Rather than a judgment of condemnation or a determiner of salvation, There are two purposes for the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ. First of all, it is that we are to give an account of ourselves to God. We will still answer to God. Secondly, there is a recompense or a reward or a consequence for our works. The third foundational scripture about the judgment seat of Christ is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul talks about there is no foundation except the foundation of Christ. We are saved in Christ, in Christ alone. But then every man, every person builds their spiritual house. They build their life on the foundation of Christ. This is what we do as Christians. This is what motivates us. This is our works, if you will. And that work, our life, what we have done for Jesus, that is going to come under examination. 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as though through fire. The judgment seat of Christ means we made it to heaven. It's not to determine salvation, it is determine rewards. But there's, see, there's a little bit of a troubling phrase that is in that scripture, and it talks about loss. And that's really what I'm speaking of, gonna be speaking about this this evening. And so you think about it, what Paul is doing here is he's trying to prepare believers to have some kind of an understanding about getting ready and what to expect when you get there. You know, if you go someplace uh, on a vacation or someplace you've never been there, when we checked in at the uh, here at the church for the conference, there was a greeting and a little bit of an orientation Some places will actually have what they call a what to expect when you arrive or upon your arrival. And it's an orientation so that we don't do something foolish. 
so that we flow with the program and we know there. And this is what Paul is trying to help us to understand is what is going to happen to believers when we leave this life and we enter into the presence of God. And the truth is, as many Christians really have no clue as to what's going to happen. There's this false understanding or ignorance. It's just going to be one endless Club Med cruise without the vomiting or the flu or the seasickness. Endless bliss. One survey of professing Christians said that less than 20% believed that there would be any accountability for their actions on earth. Travel notifications. In August, my wife and I and Rick and Pam Glenna, we went to uh, Kenya. I was able to preach there in the church in Nairobi. And, and after that, we went on safari. And when we got there, the, they checked us in and they said, look, here's some guidelines. These, this is not the zoo. These are not tame animals. And so you have to conduct yourself in a certain way. Rule number one, never get out of the truck. Doesn't matter how cute they might look. And the reason is, is the, the predators, the big cats, the aggressive animals, when they see a big safari vehicle, it's just a big thing. They might see your face, but they can't really differentiate that unless you get out. And then they see, if, if you would do that, they would see you're different from that and you are fair game. Ooh, look at that. Look, no claws, no fangs, no horns. I could eat that pink thing. Yes, I could. <laughs> Let's go ahead and put the video clip up. And so, you know, there are reasons why they give these instructions, but we don't listen to instructions. We think it's going to be different. I took this video clip. <laughs> don't get out of the truck. See, when, when she went by, I'm realizing, okay, this is different than it kind of sounds. This is real. Paul's giving us some instructions, and he says that there is an accounting. It's wrong to believe that as Christians are not going to be subject to any kind of judgment, you know, all of our sins have been covered by the blood of Christ, but that is true, but we are still going to answer. Foundational principle of a kingdom is authority and accountability to that authority. Psalm says, you render to each one according to his work. Jeremiah says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. First Peter speaks of our Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work. Revelation, and behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give me, to give to everyone according to his work. You know, there is a judgment. And when we, 
Hear the word judgment. You know, judgment is coming or there's a judgment. Let's be honest. Our thought is, you know, that's a bad thing. But that's not what Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. He is saying that this is actually a good thing. It must happen. It is unavoidable. But it is a good thing. And I want to talk to you secondly about tears in heaven, and that's not an Eric Clapton song. (laughs) Because there are building materials. Each one of us are building our spiritual life with what we do, what we say. Again, 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15. Each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it has been revealed by fire. The fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. We focus on that. And that's absolutely true. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Yet so is through fire. God judges our words. He judges our works. He judges our motives. He does this for pastors. James 3.1, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. An evaluation. God's going to hold us accountable, preacher. The words we spoke over this pulpit. How we treated the people that God gave to us. We had a Tremendous young man in our congregation was married less than a year. He was working. He was doing an Uber driving on the side. He was carjacked and shot and left for dead. Nobody knew where he was. His wife was getting nervous, calling, has anyone seen, and so forth. She started calling the hospitals. Where he was shot and left, somebody, a neighbor came out and called an ambulance and they took him to the closest hospital, which was a a cesarean delivery woman's baby hospital. They didn't do jack to him. He sat on a, he laid on a gurney for five hours untouched except with a bandage over his bullet wound that the, that the, uh, 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 the ambulance driver left him there. We finally found out where it was. We drove out there. I got there just as they were transferring him to another hospital. This is a weekend. So there's all kinds of crazy, stupid, drunk trauma. Triage is backed up. There, nobody's able to get in. It's COVID. And so we're pushing, pushing trying to get this guy in, everybody's fighting. No, we were here first nights. He was here, he was here. I said, how many How many of these people have a bullet in them? And I pushed and got this guy into triage and the wife was able to go in there. We were out waiting, nothing. We're not hearing anything, anything. Over an hour went by, called the wife, pastor. Nobody has seen him yet. And so I snuck in there, tried to look like a doctor, Went in there, there's 40 beds, they're all occupied, two doctors, two nurses. It's a whole train wreck, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a bad scene. He's laying there, they had stuck a tube in him, there's fluid and blood all over the floor, there's an untouched file laying on top of him, and I started pushing 
to get where where's this where are the surgeons is the theater that's what they call surgery is the theater open is there are there surgeons available what's what's going on sir we're doing everything that we can everyone here is in critical condition i said that guy over there is reading a book this guy here has a bullet in him he's going to die without surgery sir we're doing the best that we can and i said listen to me we both know that people die in this room that don't have to You need to get something going here. Who are you? I'm his pastor. (laughs) And they ran me out. (laughs) And so I called back into the, to talk to the, to the, uh, to the wife. And she said, pastor, both of the doctors are looking at him now. It was now another, it was another five hours before they wheeled him into the surgery facility. This is, 13 hours after he got shot. It was another six hours. It was 19 hours before they started working on him. He survived this. The bullet entered under his armpit and lodged about an inch from his spine at the base. He came out of surgery and survived that, and I knew it. I knew it. I I said, look, he's still in critical condition. I said, look, I'm going to give it 48 hours. They're going to need to open him up again because of infection. And all the nicks and things that they didn't sew up, that the bullet nicked and the surgeons and all that, and that's exactly what happened. They let him out nine days later. He's in agonizing pain. Had to take out part of his pancreas. It was an absolute miracle that he survived this, but he's in absolute agony, back pain. They sent him back to a physical therapist, and I'm like, did they take the bullet out? And they didn't. And we had to push and push. It's too close to his spine. I want to see the x-rays. And we pushed and pushed, and he went in a third time, and they took the bullet out. And he's back playing drums. You know what he's doing now? Is every second Saturday, he takes a group of people into that same hospital, and he prays for the sick. And in the midst of that and praying for him and pushing him, I'm talking to his wife. She didn't know all of the questions to ask. I'm pushing this and pushing this. And God smote my heart. And he said, you should be fighting for everyone in your church like this. We're going to answer, Pastor. God has given us souls and some of them are trouble. But God has given us souls and we're going to answer. We're going to answer for our ego. We're going to answer for our pride. We're going to answer for our ambition. See, what really troubles me in this verse 15, 1 Corinthians 3, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, yet as though through fire, loss. Christians will suffer loss. You know, what, what, what does that mean? What does that look like? And let's just settle this right now, that the idea of like, okay, who cares? I just made it for heaven. That's enough. That is unacceptable. Because to whom much is given, much is expected. Especially in our fellowship, with a clear revelation of God's expectation for our lives. 
Ah, who cares? Oh, yeah, no, I just, as long as I make heaven my home. Hey, hey, Paul. Hey, Peter. Hey, how's the golf swing? (laughs) Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three. Premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four. Our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. The party can start. I'm here. What does it mean to suffer loss? See, there's only one way into heaven, but people will enter in by one of two different ways, either reward or loss, with joy or with tears. Second John verse 8, look to yourselves that we do not lose the things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. 1 John 2, 28, And now, little children, abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. 1 John 4, 17, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Well, wait a minute, preacher. The Bible says that, you know, that when we see him, we will be just like him. That will happen, but something's going to happen first. We're going to stand at the bar. And not be ashamed before him at his coming. What would shame look like for the Christian in heaven? What would that look like? This word shame in the Greek It means disfigurement. It means that when that happens, when there's loss, how we appeared is stripped away. And the reality of what we are is revealed. Are you with me tonight? The word shame... It means a condition of humiliating disgrace or something to be regretted. I'm really not trying to ruin your day. I'm going to get us out of this. 
But this is a reality. This is part of the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to be examined. You know, again, justification, just as if we had never sinned. John writes and he says that if for Christians, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank God. But what if we don't do that before we go? What if somehow we carry sin in our heart into eternity? Well, it's under the blood. That's not what the Bible teaches. See, sometimes we need to hear doctrine. What about unconfessed sin at the judgment seat? How many know that would be a shameful thing? John Linton said these words, but God is also keeping a record of certain sins of the saints. This record includes all unconfessed sin due to an unrepentant heart, all unforgiven sin due to an unforgiving spirit, and all unfaithful service due to an unsurrendered life. A Christian who has wronged his brother and has never repented of his sin before God and man will have that unconfessed and unforgiven sin to face at the judgment seat of Christ. That has to be dealt with before entering into the joy of the Lord. An unsurrendered life. James 4.17, Therefore to him who knows to do good but does not do it to him, it is sin. To him who knows that he should get his life together, his marriage together, his finances together, and go out on a Thursday night or go out on a Friday night. And I'm not talking about going out to Chili's. <laughs> and doesn't do it because he knows that God has called him to do it. To him it is sin. We're going to answer for an unsurrendered life. We're going to answer for that. That doesn't mean hell, but that does mean loss. We're going to answer for that. The parable of the talents. The man with one talent took and he hid it. I didn't, I didn't do anything with it. I didn't lose it. I didn't wreck it. I didn't allow it to be stolen. I just didn't do anything with it. Here, it's yours. And the master says, that is unacceptable. You're going to lose what you were given. There was a consequence. There's the issue of unresolved conflict. This has been a theme this week, hasn't it? There's been a lot of talk over the pulpit about getting right with each other. About dropping the attitude and coming under submission with your pastor. That has been a theme, not just in this conference, but conferences everywhere, because there was a lot of that nonsense going on the last couple of years. And the appeal is always there because, listen, our strength, there is power in our unity. The Bible teaches very clearly there is power in agreement. And if we're going to have supernatural power, we're going to impact, this is going to be because we are in agreement and we are walking 
with those we're supposed to be walking with. How can two walk together unless they be in agreement? And so the idea, well, you know what? I, it, it's a big building. I, I'm just going to sit on the other side of the building because I don't really get along with them anymore. Or pastor in the field, you're not in orbit with your mother church as you should be. That's not going to get a pass at the judgment seat. Emory Bancroft said these words, there will be a vast amount of healthy work transacted at the judgment seat of Christ. The mistakes of time will there be rectified, wrong judgments reversed, misunderstandings corrected, ungenerous attempts to impute falsehood or evil where such do not exist will be exposed. And in short, persons, ways, words, motives, and acts shall then appear in their true light and character. It will be a clearing up moment. Every difficulty and question between believers and God and between brother and brother shall then be righteously adjusted. You won't get right with your brother or your sister or your pastor in this life. That is going to happen at the judgment seat of Christ. This is, this is, uh, well, it's just, you know, this is, you know, this is private. We're gonna, you're going to have your judgment seat experience in front of everyone. You know, my wife, when she is uh, baking in the kitchen, and she's baking things that she gives away, and I don't get to eat them. <laughs> she listens to Judge Judy audio <laughs> stuff. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. These reality, there's different flavors, different judges, right? But it's the reality, you know, judgment thing. And every once in a while, I'll be, you know, in my office and she'll say, oh my gosh, you got to come here and hear this. <laughs> because what it is, is, is two parties who are in conflict with each other, right? And it's usually, it's, it's monetary. There are, they're suing for money and damages and things like that. And there's a countersuit sometimes and they all bring their case before Judge Judy. And what really happens is, the show advertises for this. They pay the, both parties' expenses, and then they pay the damages. It's a free ride. These people get their moment, and so they think that you know what? I'm going to get my. I'm going to get my. They're going to hear, and everybody on TV is going to hear how I'm right. They were wrong, and all that. And you know what? They're all fools, <laughs> aren't they? Even Judge Judy says it. That's ridiculous. <laughs> and she'll start asking questions. You know what, what, what? Okay, okay. We're about to find out just how foolish you have been. And she'll lecture foolish women about taking in dirtbag men. And then, and what happens is, is these people get, and they are absolutely certain that their cause is right and they owe me that money and there was no contract, there was no promissory note, which is what Judge Judy asks for. Was this, 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 no, you don't have a, you don't have a contract. You're out of luck. Damages to, for the, for the plaintiff. They are so sure that they are right and the, the righteous indignation, they get exposed for being complete fools. 
Well, we're not going to stand before Judge Judy. And your issue and your conflict and your accusations against your pastor is going to look foolish on that day. Again, John Linton, yes, Christians will be brought face to face at the judgment seat with every alienated brother, with every unredressed wrong and every unconfessed sin with all unfaithful servant. All unsettled quarrels will be brought into account because, listen, we cannot enter into the joy of the Lord unless this is all settled first. If we don't get it right in this life, if we don't put to death our pride and our ego and our entitlement and our me first. See, this is the appeal. This is what Paul is speaking. We make it our aim, verse 9, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. There's going to be some work done. And so it's like so important that we get this done in this life so that we don't suffer loss in that life. I want to close and I want to talk to you about preparing for that day because there's another aspect of this. You know, the work of salvation, the end game of that is we're supposed to be like Jesus. Right? Work of redemption is reconciling us to God and making things in our life right, that we might reflect the image of Christ and his righteousness. Romans 8.29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Conformed to the image. Well, how does that happen? we have to be brought before a standard. All of our selfish bent, all of our preferences, all of this is, see, it's going to be finally at that place. Okay, here's where the finished work is done of you becoming like Jesus. It's done there. And for some, that's going to be messy. Because you know what? You know what your pastor is trying to do? He's trying to get you ready for that day in this life. That's what his preaching is all about. That is what discipleship is all about. That is what correction at times is all about. Because the only way that that can happen is to be brought before a standard of judgment, of righteous standard. And this is a good thing. <laughs> this is a good thing. <laughs> so that judgment day, the judgment seat of Christ, will be a day of reward. Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. As those who must give account, let them do so with joy and not with grief, 
for that would be unprofitable for you. Why would that be unprofitable for you? Because that day is coming. Let them have right of way in exercising righteous, godly, redemptive authority in your life. Let your pastor do that. Let your leader do that. Let him have that way. See, this is the work of pastoral ministry, and that is to prepare the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, Ephesians 5, Paul is talking about, you know, husbands, love your, love your wives as Christ loved the church, right? But then verses 26 and 27 says that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he may present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. See, this is what your pastor's doing. He is washing you with the word. He's getting you ready for that. According to the tradition of Middle Eastern marriages, beauty treatments, spa treatments, so that there would be a natural beauty and not bondo <laughs> and implants. There would be a natural beauty. The washing of the word. This is the work of salvation. At the judgment seat of Christ, when it is all said and done, and when when everything is examined and that is sorted out, that is when the completion is done, and then we will be like him. We need to prepare now. We need to get ready now. You need to get your heart right with God now. You need to get right with money now. You need to get right with headship now. And you need to pursue calling now. Because there is an opportunity like never before in the history of the church and in our fellowship for world evangelism. I'm finally getting there. Crowns. The runner's crown, the soul winner's crown, the crown for enduring temptation, the crown of righteousness when looking for his appearing, there is a pastor's crown or a shepherd's crown. See, we want that day to be a day of rejoicing. And so this surrendering our lives to the calling is such like a really cool thing. I'm proof of that. We're in our 20th year of missionary work. It has been such an incredible blessing. It's There have been times that have been challenging, but it has been such an incredible blessing and such an incredible privilege. And that there will come a day when it's all said and done, where we're going to be finished and we're going to be able, hopefully, with joy to say, Jesus, we gave it our very best shot. Um. So, pastor, listen to this. 1 Peter 5, 2 through 4. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. It's going to be worth it, pastor. It's going to be worth it. See, you're going to want to have done it right. 
You're going to want to have lived the sacrifice. You'll be really glad you did. We nationalized our mission church. I'm about to stop here. We nationalized our mission church in Botswana. We planted that church in 2013. We nationalized it about a year and a half ago. They had really hard lockdowns. That church had not had a revival for two years. I was able to finally go up there and preach. There's two churches. Now there's three in Botswana. That's it. One in the capital city of Khabarone, one in Francis Town that we planted. Preached three nights in Khabarone, hired a car, drove up there to Francis Town. We had a, we had a wonderful time. I'm driving back early in the morning. I had to get a COVID test get the results, and then fly the next day back into South Africa. But I was going to preach that night just one service in the capital city church. But as I'm driving, God impressed upon me very strongly to go to the David Livingston Memorial just outside of Haberoni, Botswana. David Livingston, missionary, doctor, explorer, What's not really known is how much David Livingston and his party confronted the slave trade. Slavery had been outlawed in the British Empire, but it was still being practiced in South Africa, many places. And he would go and confront that. There were, at times, armed conflict. And there was a party of Boers, Afrikaners, slaveholders that fought against Livingston and his people Livingston fled across what is now the border of South Africa into Botswana. And he withdrew there and he began to just minister. He gathered about a 100 people. He built a house and he built a chapel. And it was there in the chapel that he would minister. His wife, Mary, would cook scones, like thick biscuits, and would teach the natives English out of a Bible. Every morning they would come for their English lesson out of the Bible, but they had to have their English lesson before they got their biscuits. There's nothing left there except the foundations of both of those buildings. There's a memorial, there's some information there. <clears throat> and I was there with the pastor from the Hyperoni Church, and we were the guide was giving us the tour, and I was, I'm thinking, you know what, God, it would be really cool if I could maybe get something from here. I'm going to go ahead and put that photo up. And I looked down, and there right there in front of my foot was this nail. I know it's too small. There it is. This is a nail that David Livingston drove into the wall of his church building. And I was laying there on the ground, and I picked it up. And I'm thinking, I don't know how much longer I'm going to have in this part of the world. David Livingston was attacked by a lion. He shot it. It had been eating the natives' cattle. He shot it. The lion was still alive, caught him by his left shoulder, shook him like a rag doll, splintered the bones in his left shoulder. He couldn't use it for the rest of his life. That was in his first missionary trip. He went back to back to Scotland and then went back for a second journey. It was there that he charted and mapped 
much of the interior of Africa. And he left a legacy. You can go to virtually any country in sub-Saharan Africa, south of the Sahara Desert. doesn't matter if it was colonialized by the English, Portuguese, the French, the Dutch, or the Germans. You will find in any of those nations something that is named Livingston. Livingston School, Livingston Hospital, Livingston something. This man left a name. I picked this thing up and I said, oh God, what, how little I have done. We have an opportunity to go virtually anywhere in the world and do something for Jesus. And what my wife and I do and have done is we've just run in our lane. Not everybody's called to do what we're doing, but we're just running in our lane. And it is an incredible privilege to have stepped into the footpaths what others have done before. We're going to answer to God. We're going to give an account for how we've lived our lives. We have an opportunity to get heart issues right, and we have an opportunity to go and do what God has called us to do. I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless. God bless.